Hello, Mad Practice listeners. We are so looking forward to diving into this 2022 season. However, before that, we have our next four episodes to air, which were recorded back in 2021. These next couple of episodes are particularly special to us, as it was the first time Camille and I met in person. It was electric for the three of us to finally be together, and we hope that you feel even a spark of the beautiful energy that we experienced during those couple of days. We are so excited to be returning for many more conversations, so welcome back. We're so glad you're here, wherever you think you are. One, two, three... Yet. Live and in person. Right. That's that's what happens when you can actually be in the same space. Hi, JD. Hi, bud. Whew. Let's wow. set the scene a little. Oh my god, this is a would big you? Thing. Uh this morning we're recording this together in the same room. I could throw a paper clip in and, <laughs> and I worry and catch your shoulder. I worry that that was your first impulse. <laughs> But I'm gonna I'm gonna let that go in the spirit of such uh, high emotional uh, vibrations. We're yeah. we're we're literally six feet apart. Yeah. I think we're but we're in the same room. We we're can see each other's room. eyes. I actually I can see your whole body, but I'm really focused on your eyes. Yeah. It's it's a trip. For the first eleven of these that we've recorded, you've been in Vancouver. Camille and I have been here in Calgary in different spaces, and today. An hour ago, uh, you, JD, and Camille, our wonderful producer, met in person for the first time after hours of very intimate conversation. Yes. Getting to meet in person. Yes. And this is amazing. This yeah. is great. Yeah. It, it is, you know, there's, um, we've been underestimating, I think, the loss of human connection, being in the same room. I, I asked Camille, can I hug you? <laughs> it seemed appropriate. Yeah. And we gave a little, like, little body-to-body, heart-to-heart hug. And then I wept. Yeah. Which is all all systems go. I feel like everything's working as it should. As soon as I saw you, I teared up because it's like, there's my bud. We had a, we had one walk by the river. Like, we he, because we've all been just, like, living our lives in separate spaces. And this idea of gathering and connection has been so holy. I will never underestimate, you know, this energetic feeling, being able to look in someone's eyes, being able to just uh, not know how to articulate the feeling because it doesn't matter that I can't articulate it. What matters is that I'm going to just, that's my saying for the day. All systems go. Yeah. So our emotion for today that we're going to be talking about is yearning. Yeah. Our initial framework, what the ideas that we want to attach to yearning um, is, is we, we're going to talk about questions around diagnosis and identity and those two kind of often overlapping concepts. So we'll get to that later on in the episode for sure. But yearning as a as an emotion connected to the yearning of like being with you Mm. being like Mm. sharing a space talking to you in person um and the the broader yearning of of missing people Mm. and wanting to wanting to just be next to each other yeah yeah everything everything yeah everything 
But, you know, I'm, I love that we picked such, you know, lightweight, feathery topics for our physical and emotional reunion, you know, that it's so buoyant, these yeah. subjects. You just, before we started recording, read out the official definition of yearning. Could you hit me with that again? Because Yeah, <laughs> the definition of yearning is a feeling of intense longing for something. What that something is, up to you, you know? connection identity pizza longing longing that's a beautiful word yeah because it also uh is indicative of distance yeah you know that there's it feels like there's this distance to cover and sometimes that can be when you're in a conversation with someone especially if it's a bit controversial and there's a longing to like shorten the the distance between what you're each thinking in our case, what we've experienced today is it's a longing to be together physically in the same room that literally was um, a thousand a thousand kilometers. Yeah. Um, but then the psychological longing that's come with our dear friend COVID, very real, very visceral, not sure, measurable, how we're all walking around with so many rules around you know having to be on guard all the time uh, the the longing for spontaneity and um i think is is definitely a yearning i've had too yeah and yearning feels physical to me oh. too feels like a the image i have is uh, maybe yearning is attached to the word keeling for me you know like a, a big ship is going to tip over it's keeling over mm. that's the sense of yearning that i have is just my body twisting and turning towards something mm -hmm. and and quite maybe this is indicative of how i'm feeling now but feels quite desperate longing yeah. can feel there's positive mm -hmm. connotations for me to yearning feels like a real desperate physical move towards something or need to move towards something um, it feels more desperate and intense and physical than just longing for something. Yeah, I, I love that, Cole. And I, I, as you were speaking, I was thinking about, you know, that a lot of my uh, mental and physical health practice is trying to come back to the moment, try to just be, you know, right now it's like this, trying to be here, you know, trying to be like Mary Stankovich is always uh, in, in her Buddhist classes, like just like right now it's like this and can you be with it? That's always the question. Can you be with it? But I think as humans, that yearning is very real. And I think that when it comes to mad practice, that yearning has been with me so long to the yearning to want to talk about and know mental illness differently. And the things that we're going to talk about today, you know, like I, I, I have a deep yearning every time I hear how mental illness is talked about to for it to be different, because I really believe, Cole, that Mental illness is real. Uh, our, our cognitive differences, our emotional differences are very real. Mental illness is real. Yeah. But how we talk about it, what we think it is, what we think it isn't, is actually delusional. How diagnosis came to be, how we, um, how we really don't completely understand that mental illnesses are the only illnesses where we're still experimenting with med medication. It's not like the magic bullet pharmaceuticals that treat other diseases that were discovered specifically to treat specific diseases, we still know hardly anything yeah. 
about the brain and the emotional life and the nervous system. And we talk about them very differently. Like the, like the brain and the body are separate things, but the nervous system runs throughout our body. It does not end. So even the term mental illness, like what are we, what are we talking about? And then the diagnoses are very subjective. They're all decided by a group of professionals that lump together symptoms that apply. Like these are things that we experience and that people with other forms of mental illness experience. However, we, we haven't quite figured out that those are broad, broad, broad categories. And yeah. that if you're closely aligned to the symptoms of bipolar or you're closely aligned to ADHD or you're closely aligned to dyslexia or schizophrenia used to cover everything that you're still having an individual experience and it's frustrating because it's like it's like if you were going to a shoe store and everybody got size nine shoes and the you know you, it's better than walking barefoot it's mm-hmm. definitely gonna stop some but a lot of people are like getting curled feet a lot of people are like not able to go that far like it, it is that broad when we talk about diagnosis when we talk about medication it's that broad and we're not talking about it. Yeah. So we're all caught in these systems that, um, you know, the system's not working because if it was working, we'd have less disability because of mental illness. You know, if the medications and the therapies were working, we would see a greater return to productive life. You know, maybe not in the, the ultimate capitalist way, but we would see that and we're not seeing that. We're seeing worse and worse outcomes. So something's not working. And when something's not working and it's still going on, it's not changing. It's because almost always, I'm going to be super reductive here, but call me crazy. It's because it's making money. It's making someone money. If, if we're seeing that it's not, it's really not working for so, and we're seeing that more and more and more, but it's staying the same. Hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> That's my rant. That's yeah. my rant. Well, that's great. I, I, you know, I really remember it was maybe a decade ago when I got a first diagnosis of a mental illness and feeling leading up to that, a real uninitiated yearning for, for something. And, and, you know, and even a decade ago, which is not that long in the scheme of things, but in the open conversation about mental health feels, feels like quite a different age just that real yearning for like, can someone give me a reason? Can someone give me a foothold as I'm, as I'm trying to crawl out of this ditch? Cause, cause I don't get it. Like I know I, like I've, I can explain how I'm feeling in some ways, but if you could give me, if I could get a, a, a word for it, a name for it that I could, I could wrap my mind around and, and like, validation that it's real like that this is like that this is actually something this isn't just this isn't just me being lazy or a terrible procrastinator if i you know lie on the floor for every afternoon for weeks you know like that real need and for me at the time it really felt like going to a doctor going through a process getting an assessment getting medicated, like that was the only way for me to get that, to satisfy that yearning. That was, that was the option. That was the one option of, of going through that route. And, and I think that's still, that still feels like the only option for a lot of people. Yeah. Oh, I agree. I I love how you articulated that, Cole, that 
And I remember the same experience, like yearning. And that is the true use of that word, right? Like what the hell is hap what, what somebody's got to know what this is, you know? And for me, it was, uh, you know, I was using alcohol unknowingly to medicate myself, to try and dull the huge emotions that I would have, to try and stop the obsessive thinking, you know, like to just kind of, I, I, I wouldn't get drunk a lot. I would just maintain, mm-hmm. right? I wouldn't really go to parties and have a case of beer. I would like drink a case of beer all day, like throughout the day so that I could just tamp down on the anxiety, on the on the uh, hallucinations, I heard voices, you know, all this stuff was going on. So to finally come clean about that and be like, yeah, I mean, uh, those of us who have been in the system a long time, have had our diagnosis change, you know? Yeah. And so it started as schizophrenia, which was about the scariest thing that, you know, and it was very much your life is over. Like uh, your life as you know it is over. This will be your regiment of magic medications. Then another doctor said, well, maybe... Maybe the hearing the voices and the other things you're talking about, maybe that's more bipolar. So maybe we're not going to totally med you up right now. We're going to start here, right? And I remember thinking that there was um, a a real uh, resting place in that diagnosis. Like, okay, like I'm not, as you said, I'm not just lazy. You know, for me, it was the disorganized thinking and and the out-of-scale emotions. And okay, there is something wrong that can be righted right but then the price for that validation was stigma was um, a narrowing of opportunity an idea that this was a, a a lifelong constant state so when we when i entered the mental health system i think it's the same for you it was a crisis so it was at the peak of psychosis it was at the peak of disorientation it was at the peak of uh being having lost my mind. What I didn't know then is that it was not always going to be that that way, but the way that system responded to me absolutely kept me alive, kept me safe inside, you know, committed me inside a, a institution, medicated most of the hallucinations away, uh, got me on my feet like two weeks. Mm-hmm. But then leaving that place with all those new medications and nothing else, nothing else then very quickly that elation of okay this is this is not me i'm yeah. not doing these things to myself put my life in a very very small box that really the story was then that that's that and and it's still that's the system of entry and it's it's lined up so we have all these people like men- this is what i mean about mental illness is real yeah what i experience what you experience the need to know the need to pick up skill the the need for medication but i would argue not continuous medication at, at least in what works for me um is the part that's not talking about so so we have all kinds of people with variations of thinking right that are compared to something normal that exists and there's various degrees of suffering in that so some minds are very obsessive some minds are i live with voices to this day some people see things but if the price of that is being so medicated that you can actually not participate in life then that's that's gotta gotta change because you and i are living proof on on you know different stories and many people that i know that 
you got to educate yourself. You got to find others that are willing to go. Yeah, this is, you know, because as we've talked, it's not, I'm not, and you're not anti-psychiatry, but we're also for how do we empower each other so that Yes, there is a, we have been diagnosed, uh, again, Mary Stankovich, uh, diagnosed with the human condition, but some people's minds are very different. My mind, you know, how I have friends who can organize their thinking, who can, who understand that the scale of feeling, you know, for me to understand that the scale of things, the way I feel things is not a lot like other people, but that I can still be part of life see that's what's missing so yeah we've got people lined up who are like need diagnosis need help we've got a system that can't serve them but the real thing is that system even if they get into it is not serving them so it's so fucked up right now because mental health is very much some you know the emotions that we're all feeling the thinking the fear is real but but not how we're treating it. Yeah. So how how else except to keep talking about it and recognize that it's not, also not a constant state, you know? And so I I, I so hear you like that. That was uh, liberating. Yeah. And I had to go through it that way. I wouldn't be where I was. I wouldn't even be alive. But that's a big risky point because not everybody makes it out alive. Yeah. And well, and... I think when it comes to diagnosis in Canada, there's, yeah, there's often like kind of two ways into the system and, and, and one is through crisis through like going to the hospital, being admitted or committed, you know, have like going through that very intense, drastic experience. The other way in often is, is just for those like myself with the great privilege of having a good family doctor mm-hmm. like that, the, like the, the access to a, a family doctor is such a huge part of this. And, and in Canada is still such a, a rare, um, like just a, a really troubling lack of, of access and availability of family doctors. Cause to have a doctor who you just feel okay with, who you feel comfortable with, who you feel like will listen to you, will take you seriously, will accept, you know, what, what you're telling them is, is a wild, like just a, a wild, just a wild privilege. Um, and that's just a very different entry point into the system than, than going in through the ER or, or, and often that like entry point into the ER, ER is through the police. And that's, yeah, that's ad- adding another, like, but, but it is it is a bigger entry point for even non crisis case the ER because you 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 don't have a doctor so you know that's that's overloading that system and you immediately go into a very if even if you're not in crisis you're going to get the crisis protocol yeah because that's all that system can do right and you know what hearing what you say right is that relational aspect of a family doctor who knows you like that's what's missing right. The, they're paid for, you know, how many patients they see and, and doctors are not happy with this, you know, so not, I don't want to misrepresent um, doctors, but, you know, and then we're throwing pills at things and everybody is now recognizing that, okay, so when we're talking about mental health, I don't think it can be separated from physical health. That's our first sort of thing we have to talk about in a real simple way. But then, 
you know, that medication can only, how do we educate ourselves in, in what, what it can do and what it can't do? And how do we recognize when we, when we need that help, when we need that boost, but also educating ourselves about what it does and what it doesn't do. So what we're starting with is a fundamental myth that, you know, mental illness is a biochemical imbalance. It's not. Actually, the, the medications make us medically, chemically imbalanced. And sometimes that's what we need. We mm-hmm. need a little lift. But the, the very understanding of what it is that we're talking about is the on the street stuff is based on information that came to us through the 60s and 70s. Like we don't stop and question. So the people who do stop and question believe that mental illness itself is a myth. And so we're this is yeah. the thing. We're like, okay, those can't be the only two places to be able to say I'm I'm overwhelmed emotionally, but but I think what we need, Cole, is like we have lost touch with like we are emotional beings. We are we are not we're not supposed to walk through this world totally together, totally rational, totally knowing what to do all the time. And some of us who've experienced trauma will be feel get to a, a mind state, an emotional state that's very real and overwhelming. You know. ADHD is, you know, very, um, that's the one, like you can see it move through schizophrenia, bipolar. Uh, oh, I actually think it was schizophrenia, bipolar, depression, ADHD is very, um, we're clustering those symptoms. Now we all, we all relate to them. Yeah. It doesn't mean that it's not real, but what it means is that what are we talking about? If, if I have a, a brain that organizes different than yours, that what we're talking about is that there's a system that is normal and there's people who that doesn't work for because we can't work. I would be on a lot more medication if I was working nine to five. If that was the only way I could work, I would probably have to be on more medication. Truth. I have the good fortune of a life that can move around according to my brain and mood. Right. But mostly people who don't. So the people who have these differences, Oh my God, that price of entering this way or that way. Right. Mm-hmm. The people who don't have it think it's a myth. Yeah. And and wonder why we can't just get it together, stay on our meds, um, you know, be good people like stop. Like, it's just easy. Take your meds, get, get your diagnosis, take your meds and that's it. And, and it is there's so few things, you know, like our mental health is not scurvy. Scurvy is one of the few physical health conditions that there is a very clean line there's a one-to-one relationship between a vitamin deficiency and scurvy mm-hmm. and you can eat lemons and that'll cure your scurvy yeah and that's great and that happens for almost nothing else with our bodies there's like there's the you know chemical imbalance the, the way our brains are working there's no lemon for that there's no there's no vitamin c there's no single thing that you can be like oh Hey guys, yar pirate makes yeah, yeah. <laughs> We figured it out. Yeah, eat an orange. Yeah, and your foot Level, will be better. Your balance. Yeah, yeah. But that's not that's it's it's not let alone mental health, but just health yeah. health wise. Yeah. There's very few other body conditions yeah. that that work like that. But I will. But you know, I have some friends in my life, people like very close people in my life over the last year who have. Uh, got diagnoses 
that have made a major difference in their life. Mm-hmm. And and some and some of those are attached to getting medication. That's not that's not a, a silver bullet and it's fixed everything, but it has I think there is still something in 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 diagnosis diagnosis what's the plural of diagnosis i think you got it right the first time diagnoses diagnoses think, think but don't look at me i'm dyslexic adhd <laughs> you know not your go-to yeah on this. but like getting a diagnosis does like can still offer a framework for understanding yourself and i think that's great it can give you a set of practices or tools or or hopefully a nice menu of of things that other people with similar experiences have used and and do a little tasting menu try it out see what works for you see what see what fits if yeah. if you take responsibility for that learning yeah which took me a long time to understand right like it it wasn't just it's like is this it and then i started to because i have a curious mind and you know and I had a young daughter at the time and I was like, wow, I, I'm not going to be able to participate in the same way. Started researching, started figuring things out. So what happens is that same thing, like th- that has to be part and partle of a uh, uh, part and parcel, partle, partle, sure what that is either. Uh, we'll look it up. Uh, partle, partle, um, a rattle and a purr that is not entirely frightening. That's what I'm looking for. Um, <laughs> Uh, but, but I, I think that we don't know that right until we find, we work as artists. So we're kind of fronting curiosity. We're kind of, you know, I was trained as a journalist. I was, you know, I was going to look this up. It wasn't, it wasn't, but I didn't do that until my daughter got diagnosed with depression. And that's the real interesting thing for me is like, I was like, okay, I'm, this is it. And it was, everything was hard getting getting up at t- in, in time to get her to school keeping keeping working i was i was it i was like working a little bit and sleeping and trying to keep my daughter's life going when she got diagnosed and i saw that the medications powered her down in such a drastic way and i saw it in someone else and i thought okay how do we educate ourselves about this cuz the doctors aren't telling us like is this forever yeah. is she on this forever like so we i had to take it on you know like I had to learn, you know, eventually Casey withdrew from those medications and we were able to support her in other ways. Not everybody can go all the way off and that harm reduction is what we're talking about here because we don't associate harm with, and if you go on those medications, like this, they don't even tell you this. If you quit your medication suddenly, you will see an exaggeration of your symptoms that brought you to the medication in the first place. Often that's where you see the first psychosis. Often that's when you see the diagnosis change from depression to bipolar or, you know, from bipolar to schizophrenic. There's not enough knowledge. So you're already not feeling good. And then we're going to say to you, and you don't know anybody else who's kind of like, either, you know, the radical no psychiatry, which I don't think helps, you know, Mm -hmm. those radical ends, or you, you're only around, it's all medication all the time. Your life's going to be like this. And so if you don't come out of the fog enough, right, because medications only work for a little while and then you switch them up, you, you know, so the self-education is a part of it, but that's a luxury. Yeah. That's a privilege. So if I, if I hadn't been able to make a living in, in a way that I had that extra time to research, if I hadn't been predisposed to, um, I'm going to, I'm going to look at this from 
that's my personality from every angle, then I would still be with that psychiatrist letter that says you will never work again. And I would be on long-term disability. Some, uh, some disability, that's what's required. That is absolutely what's required. But, but that's not, that, that outcome shouldn't be for everyone. And yeah. if, if it's, if it's, you got to work nine to five or not at all. Like, so this is the, these are the things, if you don't know anybody that you can't even talk really about, really about what's going on, which is stigma. So you can't really talk about one day to the next, my uh, voices are different. I don't tell everybody and every day, when I get together with you, I don't go, hey, the voices are, I might with you say they're louder today than not, but I don't, but I have all these ways that I can move through the world appearing normal. And some days that doesn't work. Yeah. Some days it's like, so I still have the luxury of, okay, today it's not going to work. Today I'm going to hold up. Today I'm going to power down. Today I'm going to, I'm going to just, I don't know, maybe watch some Netflix. People are figuring out all these things during COVID, but we're still not talking about it. Like what is mental health and what, what, what are we, ta- what are we actually talking about? And if I get a diagnosis, what, how, what is, how am I empowered to work within it? So one of the things I think that you said is so true, like that it can be a very strong beginning point to have like this sense of I'm not alone. There is a name, mm-hmm. but it doesn't negate personal responsibility. And with personal responsibility, we have to look at privilege. So if I don't have, if I'm struggling to make my living, right? And I don't have secure housing. I'm not, I don't have a lot of time to empower myself to learn skills that would help my ADHD or that would help my schizophrenia. I don't have time. So I'm on these medications and the world tells me it's going to make me better. Actually, it's making me a little worse and I have nothing else because I'm on that train, right? So then we see relapse because you go off your medications because the side effects are greater than the effects. Yeah. And then you're back in the hospital and then you're at ground zero. And so we, we have seen, I think, a romanticization of mental illness. And uh, I think that with Bell Talks, it's like, I can come out, I can say, I've got this, I've got this, I've got this. And it is hiding the very real personal struggles of everyone, but in a class way, really hiding the people that have no, no, nobody to talk to about it can't afford the therapy, have to accept that the medication don't, don't even know how to begin to talk about this medication isn't working for me. Yeah. You know, this year I went off all my medication. It was, I think I want to say it was the fourth time I tried. It was like, to me, it's like quitting smoking Yeah. in that, you know, I've, I've smoked off and on for, I don't know, many years. Um, and, and, and it took me a number of times to quit. And then I, backslide often um anyways uh what was i thinking oh so this this year i i felt ready to try again largely because over the years my dosages had gotten so high that essentially every day i had i nausea and diarrhea like the like the whatever it was doing to my mind my experience was it was it was harder on my stomach than any good it was doing my mind and i just like couldn't do it anymore just like couldn't couldn't feel like i was you know 
sick to my stomach 24 seven for years, years and years. But the privilege that I had, like I essentially had to book a, a week of vacation. Like I had to plan with my partner and our kid and we were, and it was like during a semi lockdown and I had to like purposefully make a very light work schedule, which I had the privilege to do because I knew I was like, this is going to be a week of, of like hell. Like it's going to be really awful and I'm not going to be able to do much else. And I could do that and keep my kid healthy by leaning on my wife and keep my job through the privilege of being an artist who's the boss of a company and I could unilaterally say like, I'm not going to do a lot of work this week. Uh, and that's, that's a privilege. I need to tell you, I'm, I'm having, I feel like right now I'm pretending to be a smart person having one conversation with my smart friend, JD, but there's like, there's seven ideas in my head right now. I'm having seven conversations mm-hmm. over the last five minutes out here. Let me r- rattle them off. I was, um, I was, I was thinking about doctors and I was thinking about systems collapse because in Alberta right now, like our healthcare system is about to collapse. I was thinking about diagnosis and, uh, someone, uh, that we support here at inside out and artist in Alberta who is in a two year fight to get the right diagnosis that will let them access H, which is the financial support yeah. system. Uh, I, 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 I'm, disability, disability benefit. The right? disability benefit, yeah. 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 We, because we mentioned ADHD, I'm having a conversation in my head about ADHD and TikTok and, yeah. and like neurodivergent social media in general. Um, like the, there's just a bunch of things going on in my head and I'm like, but JD's saying some good shit and I should really <laughs> listen to them. Uh-huh. I should really follow what you're talking about uh and and like and then i was i was having some like physical flashbacks to the the process of like leaving meds and just feeling feeling sick and now i'm thinking about smoking as well yeah like this this is all this is all what's what's going on in my head well welcome and i and i think that's um that's what the human brain does and and that's exactly the kind of conversation i mean that we don't have we don't can't stop a conversation and go da 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 because that means what does that mean about your brain? It means your brain is doing what your brain does. Yeah, <laughs> that's what a brain does, and that it's a bit you know it's hard to um, lots of times like input output. It's like lots of stuff is going on. It's like well, let's take a breath and you know recognize that what we're talking about is also a very personal experience for you and a very personal experience for me and so many people. Because we're so involved in mad practice and mad activism, people that we know and love. Yeah. And um, all I know is that I wish I had known at the beginning that I would have to educate myself and that the medications that were, um, in my case, at a crisis level, that for four or five years would just increase and increase. That would not be my life. And I wish I knew that it wasn't either or, and that most of my journey would be about a deep acceptance that for like my friend Cole, seven conversations are happening at once. And how can I learn to stop it and go, 
hey. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, what's great about being in conversation, right? As soon as you said, like, viscerally, I'm kind of having some flashback. I was like, ooh, there is this big feeling in my body because I'm talking about a time of life. You know, and in 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 my case, I was on uh, regiments of antipsychotics, which they decided to give bipolar people. But an antipsychotic is um, stays in your body, you know, can affect you for half the time you were on it. So in in ways, many of my withdrawals were years long. Yeah, and so things would happen, and it would be like, is that the withdrawal? Like, is that, and sometimes I wouldn't know, but I really believe that all of this, right. Is like, how do we have a, as soon as you said that to me, right. I felt my heart open up and go, right. Okay. Let's remember we're talking about these concepts here that we're actually in, 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 in yeah. as real humans. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, as the healthcare systems collapse, which feels inevitable, we, you know, there are, there's a small pocket of time. I think it's 46 to 1946 to 1954 where schizophrenics were not medicated because we didn't have neuroleptics yet. We didn't have, that may be a incorrect word. We didn't have the, the drugs that we treat. And we can see in that research in the book, um, anatomy of an epidemic, which we'll post up at the end that the re relapses were less so it was almost 80% of people who came into the hospital, schizophrenic, which was everybody then. And after, you know, a year, like something, there was usually a triggering event. After about a year, you know, and calm and quiet, people went back mm -hmm. to their lives and, and had jobs and got married. And we don't see that now. Yeah. We, we have to question our medications if we stay on them too long, making things worse. And that's a hell of a thing to have to think about at your moment of crisis, or in your case, you know, crisis is relative. You walk into a family doctor and it's like, I can't, I can't get out of my basement metaphorically or literally. Right? Yeah. And we're talking about, I've just been having all kinds of conversations cold in the last 20 months. And I just say to people, what if this is just depression? So you're depressed there. That's your diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Or maybe it's ADHD. I don't know, but hereby, whatever you think it is, that's what it is. Yeah. Now what? Because we're in it. And I think that the, the thing I, I yearn to pass on to people is not about getting better. It, I mean, I must have, I ruined so many things, Cole. I, I missed so much of my life trying to get better. Yeah. And now I'm trying to accept and be real. And it's, I can't avoid any of the feelings. I can't avoid, <laughs> but I'm way more at peace. And if people don't get me, then you're see you later you know yeah and family there's you know the queers have a great idea of chosen family but i think it really applies in mental illness as well like i have i have chosen not bars i have chosen therapists i have chosen peer support 
you know, whatever the systems words are for that, I have found it, you know, and I feel like we're at a point in time where we have to be able to talk about how we're feeling and recognize how monetized it's become and how just things like friendship and community and neighbors have, have, have been separated from us in a very calculating way and that's not yeah. paranoia and how do we get back to it which is why i agreed to do this podcast with you it's another risk right it's like mm -hmm. i don't know cole i don't really do we want to do we want to dredge all this up buddy? Yeah, do yeah. we are we will we be okay and that's the risk when it's like yes it's a i believe it's a value i know it's a value for our friendship seeing you right now in almost matching plaid shirts can i say that because i true. don't think and probably if i had my glasses on they're very similar can i just say that and that's me using humor to elevate out of a deep <laughs> sadness i seem to have got myself into well thanks we I, I do feel like that question of acceptance to turn it back to yearning and moving away from the need or yearning to yeah quote unquote like get better to to get better um when that leaves i feel when, when i was able to let go of that a whole different set of yearning that now is all like when i think of the word yearning i think of people like i was saying that i had a i went to the, the batting cage with a friend the other day um and it was a rough week and i was saying like i just my yearning was just to take my kid like into the mountains and just like, I was like, that's all I just want yeah. to soak up time with her and be away from everything else. And that was the yearning or like a yearning to talk to you, a yearning to, you know, have like time, time with Ellen, my wife, where we're not whatever we're doing on most nights, figuring out work or yeah. uh, talking about our, our daughter or cleaning the house or like just time as uh, as a, a couple yeah um yearning to yeah like my yearning is now towards people and the relationships that make the most meaning out of my life some so and and like some yearning towards artistic creation but honestly not as much over the last year like that's not that like when i push myself there i enjoy like that's that's a a, a really powerful place for me to sit in but what i'm yearning yeah. yeah but but that yearning away from feeling better getting better which my experience was almost always tied to being able to maintain a level of work like just being able to sh like oh yeah keep a very ambitious workload going and whatever mental health stuff i was was seen primarily as like speed bump towards me working as much as I could like we're or doing all these like accomplishing things mm -hmm. that I wanted to accomplish mm -hmm. and and getting better was not actually about feeling better it was about just getting that out of the way so that I could work and then accepting that that's not gonna happen changed everything like it really did change change how I orient my life yeah and and this is you know the stigma so like so the the the, the value of diagnosis, the value of, of being, okay, I, this makes sense to me. I can, I'm going to educate myself. I'm going to, I'm going to, well, you can't right away. You just have to kind of get to a, a level. 
but and that is you know uh, valuable and however i would question and we do have to educate ourselves about this is the only medical diagnosis that does not have diagnostic tests it is completely subjective so this is what i meant earlier when i said it's real yeah mental illness is real but how we think about it how it got organized even by minds that we're not experiencing it directly is something we have to keep talking about. The the very idea of, you know, like I remember, Cole, when you came out to me about your mental illness, right? I remember that as a moment that we would not be here. Our friendship would not be as deep. If you had decided that your value, your worth of a person was to protect that, we would not be here. And before that, there was this little thing that would always happen when the conversation would go into a certain place. And I always thought, what is that? Yeah. Such an open, caring person. But I really noticed that something happens there. I don't know what that is. I didn't need to know. But I'm really glad that you risk that vulnerability. And I think that that's the thing we have to keep risking with each other, right? That it's not, you know, how do we, how do we, how do we accept this not by the, something wrong with me? But there's something, there's something different and I need, I do need help and I can't, I can't even make theater the way other people make, you know, let's not get started about the arts and that it, (laughs) not going to get started, but you know, that it, it privileges endurance. And then we see, you know, a class system in the arts where people with money who don't have to worry about their base income end up with longevity, la, 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 la. I think I said, don't get me started. But (laughs) I do know that if I had said that means I'll never make anything again, a part of me would have died. And luckily, I figured out and I met other people who, you know, we can make good art and still take care of ourselves. Yeah, we here we should we should take a a quick little break. And then I do actually want to when we come back, we should talk a little bit about in our world that there are also new privileges and power that comes with adopting different identities around madness Mm -hmm. because that's a very complex situation that i find myself in so we can chat about that a little bit but why don't we take a break you have to re-up your parking i have to pee we should give each other a hug great and we'll and we'll be back in in a minute here let's clap again one two three we got it we still got it it's still just obvious about, I mean, you can look at somebody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to, you know, follow up on the, on the medication and just really, you know, I am a, just an advocate of field notes and, uh, you know, that's like self anthropology and just to keep track, you know, when you go on a medication to have your own personal, um, you know, I don't want, I, I wanted to give some hope, some things that have worked for me. And then, yeah. um, it field notes, just have your own, you know, way of uh, noting how the medication is working and, and the side effects and when that balance tips and, and, and just be in relationship to it because it works absolutely different for everybody. That's why there's 6,000 cold remedies on the market. You know, we yeah. have very intricate individual systems and that the other thing is don't talk about your medications in the same way like when you're a, a writer you you know that there's certain people you shouldn't talk about an idea with too early because mm-hmm. they'll just be too critical they'll have their own ideas and then there's other people where you can just be like i'm just sort of thinking about you need to find people that are on medication and not um or have been and are not shamed about it so 
not someone who's never been on it. Families generally not. Yeah. Sometimes, yes. But you need people that you can talk about, you know, and practice, you know, not being ashamed. I'm on my antidepressants or I'm on my antipsychotics. And although you and I are both in a period of time where we've elected not to do that, that it's there's no shame in doing it. And that I often have questions of, you know, trying to move my activism into what are we talking about with mental illness and how could we how could we help with medication yeah and struggle all the time when days are very bad about um, particularly with the auditory uh, hallucinations maybe I should have stayed on something but I for me just want to say that it's really individual I have a, a an agreement with my family that if I ever you know really really can't uh, fight suicidal um, thoughts or, you know, the which come from the voices, you know, that I will take myself to a hospital. I've been able to not do that. But just to say that that is my personal thing, that I don't want to go into those systems, but I absolutely would if if I had to. And to find people that you can have conversations like this with. Yeah, that's actually exactly what the, the, that's the last thing I wanted to say, too, as before. So we took a little break. I went to the washroom. I had a cigarette. I know. Um, yeah, it was, it was really, it was great. <laughs> um, and in that 10 minutes, in my mind, I told a whole story that I don't need to tell right now, which is great. So I just told it to myself. And because and, you were there and you you know this story. But w- w- yeah, what I did want to just, the I think the positive thing I wanted to say was was actually to thank you, you know, like, when you were saying how I like came out to you about my mental illness, it's because of who you were. And so the the flip side of of find the people that you can talk to is also in whatever way this means to you, in whatever way you can, like to be to put out the vibes that you're the kind of person that people can talk to as well. Mm-hmm. Because I feel I felt and still feel often so much fear about talking about madness and mental illness within the mad and disability community Mm. like that's like those are the people that i'm afraid of right of some specific individuals in my mind in our broad big nationwide community and other unidentified individuals but just folks out there of of being really afraid of what would come back at me, what I fear would come back at me um, about appropriation or taking up space or uh, trying to take away power. Because in our world, there, there can be like diagnosis and like really claiming an identity in some, in some uh, circles puts you at the center. Um, And that can come with a lot of power. And what I see is is some folks really get attached to that power and sharing that space um, can feel like a loss of that power and, and, and shit can get super nasty. And I, and, and I, and I have, since I've been in this world and it's about like about a decade or so of working in the, like specifically in the deaf disability and mad art world in Canada. And then in, in the different overlapping communities and activist groups and circles and communities that puts me in 
of feeling really afraid of like being open about what I'm experiencing is going to, is going to trigger a lot of negative and what feels hateful response, which I can objectively see as, as folks on their own trip, doing their own thing, Mm -hmm. finding little pockets of space and power and privilege that is not available in the rest of the world to them and folks really defending that. Mm -hmm. And so, but to not dwell on that as much meeting you and getting to know you and then finding me like, Oh, this is someone who I, who's not going to be threatened by me talking about what I'm going through and can actually strengthen and build this connection and relationship meant the world to me. And, and like, was it is was and is like a, a stable place to move out from um where i'm more able to take some blows from it because it's still because it mm-hmm. happens and it mm-hmm. will continue to yes. happen yes a lot <laughs> and 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 it is like and and having those people and and i i have other of yous as well you were the first jd but but there are there are others there are other yous well, yeah which is great yeah because it's a like it's just power like like that's 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 the kind of power that i'm clinging on to not the social privilege and and power within our communities but just the the real power of relationship and friendship yeah that can keep you steady that you can go back to that can build you up that can be a, a kind of invisible hand on my back when shit's really turning sour yeah. um which still happens a lot and for me the I, I I have so many specific images of my mind of friends opening up to me or coming to me with something they're going through and they just need someone to talk it through or mm-hmm. have a bit of advice or be a listening sounding board or something like that. And what a compliment that is, like what a true like touching offer that is to be like, and and not usually in the moment, but afterwards be like, oh, like he felt like I was a person that he could turn to. And that means so much. And so, yeah, I, I, I 100% agree with you finding the people that you can talk to who are going to mm-hmm. accept you and not, not, you know, we've, we've all got enough shame within us. We don't need it from other people. So finding those people and then being that person for others. Yeah, it's a virtuous cycle, right? Like yeah. it, it, and in the beginning, it, it, it's not. <laughs> you know, in the beginning, I really, really, and can still cycle to a place where, you know, I'll lean on you. I'll lean on my, my uh, chosen. You know, like the queer concept of chosen family. The chosen care team is really what it is. You know, that I can, I have a larger circle now. But there are times when I, I need that circle. I, I can't give as much. And that's part of the acceptance. I'm not the same all the time. But when I am able to give, I can. And when I can't, I can be honest and just be, you know, and that's what this has given me is is honesty, right? Because I have, you know, I, I come from folks who don't really think mental illness is real, you know, uh, that it, it's just something that is an excuse and that um, it's it's a very sort of, you know, and even recovery is a very um, self-centered sort of endeavor. You just, you're focused on your addiction and your recovery all the time and big ideas that aren't true. And for a long time, I 
spent all that energy going out trying to get better and trying to prove to people who weren't going to budge on their opinions that these things are not what they think they are. And I think that because of that, I started to choose, you know, my, my crazy family, my, you know, artistic family that was also able to talk about emotions, not separate emotion from work. Um, and that just started to get better and better. You know, like if I could, if I could risk vulnerability and it didn't work all the time. There are people, you know, that have either seen me in an episode in a very public way that will never talk to me again. There are people who won't hang out with me because I don't drink and drug anymore. There are, those things happen, but I have such a, you just have to keep trying. And Mm -hmm. like you said, and then you get one and that builds strength. Then you get two and then you got someone else who comes to you out of nowhere. You know, uh, I remember a young actor uh, coming to me out of seeing me in public somewhere and saying, Hey, remember that dinner party when you were judging that playwriting contest three or four years ago? I was like, "Mm, sort of, it was at this guy's house and this guy's, Oh yeah, sort of, sort of. And you weren't drinking, but you were really funny and you were like totally present and, you made me uh, question my drinking and I don't drink anymore. And it wasn't a conversation about a particular kind of recovery or a particular label. It was just like, that was a living example of someone who could be funny and participate at a dinner party who didn't drink. Yeah. And so there's all this rippling out, but I wanted to speak to that identity thing, right? Because I think it's so important to be out as a queer person. When Harvey Milk (laughs) way back when said, come out, you know, the reason he said that was because once we're real, once we become like, oh, that's that's a queer person, that's a lesbian, that's a gay man, that's a trans person. Okay, I know what. We start to get less mythical mm-hmm. and more well-rounded and more individual. It's the same with mental illness. Like, if you can come out, like, I this and I'm de- I I deal with you know, uh, you know, what are the current diagnoses? Uh, you know, uh, depression, ADHD, bipolar. Um, uh, complex PTSD, right? I do. I don't. I, very rarely do I string those together and say that's what I'm dealing with. Yeah. But I do introduce practices into workspaces, into friendships, into ways of being. I do say you got to get to the mountains again. I know you guys went camping. You got to go again. You got to. You can't run away with your daughter and your wife, but you got to do that, buddy. That's a really good idea. Like to plan for one in two months or whatever, because I'll do things like that, like something to look forward to something. And in my field notes, I can see, you know, how I've, you know, I'm talking about living with, you know, I'm very open and out. And that means right away, there's going to be people that don't like me, yeah. that have ideas about me, that whatever. But that also means that I become a magnet and I get, you know, to grow my, you know, my aquarium is full of wonderful things now. But I also will speak to that where I think privilege really comes in is not being out. If you can afford to not be out, you got privilege. Yeah. Because, yes, there is a hierarchy of needs. And you, we don't want to get into a battle of, you know, mine's worse than yours, you know. But, but I do get upset. I, I joke and certify that um, depression is like the light beer of mental illness. And that's a joke. So, of course, it's a bit offensive because people with depression suffer deeply and I don't want to get into the hierarchy of yeah but you don't have auditory hallucinations and you don't have bleeding psychosis and you don't have it doesn't matter but in my world what I've noticed is that I don't I work really hard not to pick up the victim card because I can pick it up easily 
and I've done it in the past. But I have to meet people where they are. And there is, in like in every other area, equity. So I have been privileged enough to learn some skills, to be an artist, to I, I have such a different relationship with my mental illness than someone who's not an artist, someone who believes in Western medicine, someone who is not not going to talk out loud. You know, my dad suffered from a lot of undiagnosed mental illness. And I can really see how the ideas of masculinity, being the head of the family, not telling those, you know, he suffered so unnecessarily because he couldn't. And I recognize even a generational privilege there, right? Yeah. So I just think we have to be always aware of that, where we are in space, but to not hide to not not speak because we might get flack, to not uh, decide this is where I'm going to speak and this is where I'm not. Because we can handle that conflict if we can understand that it's not personal. So, you know, in, in mad activism, my God, on any given day, we could get together and everybody could be on the off side. So we get, we've had fights, these terrible, you know, fights organizing around, you know, medical assisted dying, for example, you know, and people get triggered and we don't recognize our triggers right away. But because we're friends, you know, it's not very long till it's about half hour later, we're making a phone call like, I did that, I unloaded that whole truck and really this box was for you. Can we talk through this? And that's the work, right? Because if we avoid that, then we're hurting ourselves and hurting others right because that stuff's gonna happen yeah yeah that's my rant on that it's <laughs> thank you <laughs> i think it is you know it's a it's a a common experience that you know we've had in private conversation with a lot of our friends and community members of of that internalized fear and also feeling like claiming an identity for yourself to be able to express yourself with the fear of feeling like, but am I blank enough? Am I mad enough to be a part of this conversation in the, in the last year? Like, you know, so much needed new conversation about racial equity, let's say in the arts, which the world we're working in, the, the number of friends I've, I've had who've talked about like, am I, am I Asian enough? to be a part of this? Like, am I blank enough to, to have a, a valid say or like, or, or during me too movements being like, well, I've, I've experienced this kind of harassment, but have I been harmed enough to speak up? Like, am I taking, am I taking space away from folks who've been harmed more, which I appreciate the folks who are grappling with that and, and not, shutting down from those conversations and being a part of those conversations, which would be in a lot of ways easier, especially if you have the privilege of not coming out, of not coming out as, as a, whatever identity is being. It is just better across the board to come out with your yeah. experience because the, the, that's the privileged moment, right? I don't have to, but it disguises itself as I'm taking space. Yeah. You got to be very skillful about when is that time. If someone is talking about, something that in scale is, you know, that's probably not the time to bring up, I got a broken nose. If someone has, is talking about their six months in a body cast as, as a, as an image, you have to be skillful about that. But, but if you continue to, to, to use that, I don't want to take up space. It's just another kind of lie. Right. Yeah. And it's so, 
it, when we, I think what's interesting in this is like, when do we sort in our own thinking into black and white, Yeah, which is distorted thinking. It's not all or nothing. It's not enough. Like that is just such a capitalist inheritance we've got, right? It's like enough of what? Oh my God. Let's just be in the space. Because sometimes if you have other privilege, you can move things forward and bring others with you and then push them into the lead in a way that another person can't. Leverage, leveraging privilege. I'm not sure I would have done this podcast on my own as an yeah. example. I'm pretty sure I would not have. And so whatever that was in you that was like, I feel, I feel like that was an invitation to like, you know, you, for you to own where you are and your experiences. And that was enough. And for me to own. Right. And if you hadn't done that, I don't think we'd be doing this. Yeah. Kind of a good example. I think so. And yeah. And I, yeah, to give like a, a concrete example. So I, it is, and um, I think it is a, a great thing to, 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 uh, yeah, not a, not hide behind. Am I taking up space? It's a, 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 I'm now thinking of a conversation I just had with someone during Pride Week here in Calgary of feeling like, am I queer enough to come out? And am I going to take up space that, you know, et, et cetera, et cetera. But to not swing on the other side and, and disregard those very real social dynamics and things like that at play. So a concrete example for myself, talking about being mad, coming out with, with that identity, I'm good with while also saying like, and I'm not going to access funding set aside for deaf, disabled, mad artists. Um, and that's a very firm line that I have because I frankly have, have success accessing other funds. And I, and I, I believe the value of, of that funding is to recognize the barriers that some deaf, some disabled, some mad folks have have really faced in accessing funding and sharing their culture and being a part of these systems that that aren't working for them. I I, I think it's so I, I can identify that like this is a part of me. This is a, a major part of my identity. One of one of many, um, and I can be proud of that. And that ethically doesn't give me license to take that funding because that's not the value of that funding is not for people like me today, you know, who I am right now and have been the last decade or so in my career. And so I think there's value in, in that grappling and also a real effect in being able to explain that. Like, like sometimes when shit does get sour, it, it is sometimes very important for me to say like, yes, but I'm not taking funding. And I'm not using it to justify this or this or that. This is why I'm talking about it, or this is why I'm sharing that. You actually have to be innovating. You have to share how you do things in an articulate way in those in those grantings, you know. And for me, I I didn't I didn't have funding ever until that program. And although I applied in other ways, and I you know, and and this last round of funding uh, allowed a, a show that did go mainstream and won awards and all those things, which weren't the goal. And I found myself in a situation where I was creating in very uh, mad ways, very specific ways, but then having to go into a mainstream system of presentation, which was unsustainable. And so we have a lot of questions to answer about about that privilege. For me, I know that my life is still impacted enough that I have to do things differently. And that's a very genuine 
and then I bring a lot of people with me. I just, you know, do everything I can to um, bring other people into that. But I, you know, it, it's just about integrity. And I, I think that, you know, w with madness, if you want the the, the rights of a, of a diagnosis, which, you know, it's a right to be diagnosed and to, you know, you have to, what are my responsibilities to that? And if it's, it's a, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I think it's a very individual choice, but I do know that the goaling, the goal of that funding was to develop artists that can't even get trained in the same way. I couldn't do university. I ended up doing it much, much later because it was completely, I got to design how to do it. Yeah. But it, it's because we couldn't access the training and we couldn't do we couldn't with the minds that we had and the argument is that we lose so many great artists because if you can't either by money or class or disability make it into a training institute we lose you right there and you know i mean our particular theater is very classist it's very elitist and i fight it all the time because i came up through working class training and and i'm an artist with you know, um, cognitive difference and mental illness. And I see it. So I see it super clearly. Yeah. So it, uh, my, my greatest hope is that we keep talking, that we do not go to models of scarcity, that we believe there's room for everybody that we, but, but, but that we keep representing that we keep being able to tell the truth and then recognize that we're all here doing it. Cause, cause we love it. And we're a little bit crazy for, you know, I mean, especially in COVID. My goodness, I think it's the longest effective indus industry. We still don't know what's going on. Um, you know, we've many, many, uh, I'm going to be very curious to see who who survived in, in, in ways that are, um, that are still going to be making art. You know, I think we're going to have a great attrition of, I think we're going to have lost a lot of artists. So will we be able to gather again in smaller ways and figure out different ways of doing things and, maybe accept that it's not a sign of being a professional to make your entire living as an artist you know can we be artists who yes i make but i also work with kids or i also activism is part of it or you know i i'm whatever because that standard is is just crazy but can we remember why we all do this is to make and to stay curious and to you know and if we're if we're fighting about identity we're not making art so uh, maybe maybe that's a place we could keep activating. Yeah. You know? yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, JD. Yeah, let's everyone keep talking. Find your people. Find your people. Keep making. Be a, be a person for someone. Be a person. Risk risk telling. Like you know, it it is not unlike when you go to school and your parents always tell you you got to be the first one to say hello. And my experience has been the, by by doing that. I have have so many hellos now. Yeah. So many our friendship. I just saw my friend Adrian in Banff, you know, that was that's a long evolving friendship and to educate ourselves not just about mental illness and uh, systems and drugs and but emotions and what is the human experience and what have we been led to believe is a together person how do we uh, emphasize rationale above all things? How do we how do we not say that in the middle of a podcast that was not when Cole stopped and said I'm thinking all these things that was not a breakdown 
or something awful. That was like this moment of truth that how do we make space for all that? Because we're messy and, and we're in a messy time and, and let's get back to being friends and neighbors. And I know it's cheesy, but, um, you know, we're all we got and may, and if the world's ending, it's really important that we be kind to each other and, I'm not going to be rich off these ideas, but <laughs> I'm going to be okay. And so are you find some joy today. What are you going to do for joy today? Your one little joy moment. I am going to, I don't even know. I don't, I, right. I don't know right now. Yeah. Cause it's locked in. Right. I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to rent one of those little scooters before I go home and help my mom clean out the garage and just have a little tiny zip by the river. Yeah. I feel a little scared about that, but... <laughs> that sounds great. Uh, I'll report back on okay. what... Uh, some some joy will come from somewhere. I'll, I'll report back. Okay, thanks, JD. Thanks, Cole. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If our brains are making sense to your brains, there are a couple of ways you can help us out. Connect us with more people. If there are folks in your life who you think would enjoy spending some time with us, please pass this along to them. And, and I know you hear it on every podcast, but liking, subscribing, reviewing on whatever platform you're listening to makes a huge difference, especially in these early days. And if you'd like, you can support us with a little bit of money on Patreon. Just visit patreon.com slash madpractice. Big thank yous to Camille Craig for producing and composer Dana Ayotte for our fabulous theme song. If you'd like to learn more about us or our work, head to madpractice.org and chat with us on Twitter and Instagram. But most importantly, take care of yourself and each other. Love you, Cole. Love you, JD. Love you, Cole. Love you, JD.